0: Welcome to FO Podcasts. With me today is Jean Abinader, who's a friend, who's a mentor, and a longstanding author at Fair Observer. Welcome, Jean. Thank you, Atul. I'm glad to be here. Well, Jean, uh, paint us a picture of Lebanon since you're Lebanese American and you know the country inside out.
1: Well, if I were painting it, I'd give you a black painting. It's uh, almost everything is in free fall, whether it's the economy or the Humanitarian services or the government's dysfunction, all these things have combined along with the failure of many government institutions to support a decent way of life for the
0: Lebanese people. So why has the government failed?
1: The government is, is based on an improbable assumption, and that is that people can share power and be judicious in the way they act toward other communities. It's based on what separates people as opposed to what unites them. In fact, one of the things we thought was fairly ironic is the United States took the Lebanese model and put it in Iraq and they <laughs> ended up having a civil war for six years. And so it's a mistake. I mean, to divide up a country by on a sectarian basis and then have no change allows the powers that be to have corruption networks in place that are used to judge everything that happens in the country.
0: So you've talked about a sectarian divide and a sectarian basis for government, and Lebanon has a strange political structure. Now, we have listeners from around the world, and they don't really know what's the structure in Lebanon. So first, could you describe the structure? And, and second, explain how did it come about?
1: Well, in 1932, when Lebanon achieved its independence, the major sectarian leaders got together and agreed that they would power share based on, on who had the largest sects. they divide up power based on that basis. And at that time, that was the only census ever taken in Lebanon's history was in, in that time. In 1932? 1932. 1932. Okay. So the Maronite Christians became the president, the Sunni Muslims became the prime minister, and the Shia became the Speaker of the House, the parliament. Now that continued on and off until the Civil War. In '75, and the reason there was a civil war was because the Palestinians' camp came and upset the balance of power in in Lebanon. And with that fighting, that finally came to an end with the Taif Agreement in 1990, went into effect in 1990. The power of the government was reshuffled so that the Council of Ministers became the true executive in the country, not the president. And more power was given to the prime minister and the Speaker of the House.
0: So that means power has shifted away from the Maronite Christians to the Sunni and the Shia groups.
1: That's what it did in theory, but in reality, the Civil War, uh, 1975 to ninety really eroded the base of any Sunni power, because uh, in in 2005, when Hariri was assassinated, it put an end to any larger-than-life Sunni figure who could take on the leadership of the community. I see.
0: So Lebanon Lebanon was part of the Ottoman Empire, and uh, the Ottoman Empire was a Sunni empire. And in fact, the Ottoman Sultan was the caliph or the Khalifa of the Sunni world. So this is quite a fall from grace.
1: For the Sunnis, yes. I mean, the Sunnis have traditionally been almost as educated and and well-placed as the Lebanese. Through the first thirty years of Lebanon's existence, and,
0: and so you mean as the Maronite Christians,
1: yes, yeah, and and so it was the the cordiality between the Sunnis and the Lebanese Christians, and then the Druze community as well that made Lebanon function as well as it did. It was only when the Palestinians started to come in after Black September in Jordan, and then the civil war, and then the Taif Agreement, and then the inv- inv- invasions by Israel. That the body politic became much more sectarian and much more based on clientism, which is the way it is now.
0: Now, the Palestinians uh, have come in large numbers and uh, many of them are still staying in their refugee camps. A question I have for you uh, have the Palestinians become citizens? Because the Palestinians are largely Sunni. If they became citizens, they would change the balance of power somewhat.
1: Well, the problem is. Deeper than that. The power sharing for sure is a problem, but the Palestinians are in camps and those camps are controlled by Fatah or whichever faction has to be.
0: Has to be You're occupied. telling me Fatah is losing control now. Yes. The radical yeah. They're having a big Islamists problem now. are taking over.
1: Yeah, and so the, the Palestinians have never been a coordinated entity. It's ironic that when the Palestinians first came within 20 years, uh, the Palestinian Christians were given the vote. And then after some Samhattaka, upset by the Shia, then the Shia were given the vote, but the Sunnis have been excluded. So they can't own property. They can't start businesses. They can't uh, really pass things on to their children, except within the camps. And that's why the moniker State Within the State was created.
0: Uh Aha. So uh, we face a state within the state when it comes to the Palestinian Sunni camps. And of course, there's a state within the state called Hezbollah, which has a black flag. So tell us a bit about uh, Hezbollah.
1: Where do I begin? Hezbollah is absolutely a state within a state. They not only have the infrastructure of a state, but they have the resources coming from Iran and their smuggling networks throughout the world that give them probably more money income than the Lebanese government. Hmm. And so they not only have a militia, they have a autonomous state body. They have banks, they have grocery stores, they have schools, they have healthcare centers. So they're providing for the people what the government doesn't or could not provide.
0: So they're filling the vacuum left behind by government failure. That's right. All right. So what uh, is the percentage of uh, different ethnic groups now by estimation, because you've just told me there was no census after 1932.
1: Yeah, there is no census, but the best thing we can do is look at the voting figures. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I try to figure out from the voting figures what the percentages are, so are about, I'd say, three ways, 35, 35, 30, um, split between Sunnis, Christians, and Shia.
0: And I of see. course, then
1: there are minority groups like the Druze have 8 or 10% based on their voting.
0: I see. How does this compare to 1933?
1: Uh, in those days, the Christians were the, by far or the 32s, 32, rather. Yeah, yeah. well, even thirty. <laughs> the Christians were, were the largest. But over the years, the brain drain has taken many Lebanese out of the country, uh, both the Christians and the Sunnis, because the Sunnis were the other ones who had access to education and, and uh, networks overseas. And
0: they were part of the Ottoman Empire. So where are they going now?
1: Most of them are going to the Gulf. Some are going to Latin America and West Africa, which are where there are two areas of choice.
0: Francophone
1: Africa. People that speak
0: French, yes. I see. So in the Gulf, uh, you told me that they're replacing South Asians now, the Lebanese.
1: Yeah, the Lebanese are very skilled. They speak the language. Mm. They don't necessarily have to bring their families with them or ask for certain benefits like that. And uh, the golfies are much more comfortable with them than they are with South Asians. I mean, it's just whether you want to call it racism or whatever it is. Cultural to, familiarity, yeah, you can call it whatever. Uh, they're much more comfortable with having the Lebanese as their lackeys than the
0: Asians. <laughs> now, uh, Lebanon has faced many crises in the past. What has triggered this one?
1: Where to begin? Um, there were forest fires in Lebanon four years ago it got, mm-hmm. go down. three years ago, and the government could not fight the forest fires. In fact, they found that the equipment that had been donated to them was so poorly maintained and not maintained at all, they couldn't even use the equipment they had. So they'd bring in stuff from Italy and Germany and places like that. That then led to a large disquiet on the pop- part of the population. Then the government decided, among other things, to raise income by taxing TikTok and WhatsApp. And that made people nuts. I mean, that's what triggered the big demonstrations in October of 1920. Those- 2020. 2020, yeah. yeah. Sorry. And that's- it's all right. right. We, that's know. We, know. <laughs> we
0: know you're old. We, we yeah. didn't realize you were that old. It's old last century
1: for sure. Uh, and so that led to a massive popular demonstrations. Because in a country where the telecommunication system, like the electricity system doesn't work, to take out WhatsApp is the real problem for the people who need to communicate, want to communicate. Mm. So that Especially
0: given the large expat population. that's right. WhatsApp is the chosen method of communication.
1: And so that led to widespread riots and civic disobedience, which only went down with COVID. And mm. the changes in the weather, mm-hmm. but it was a real disruption and a real challenge to the powers that be. Unfortunately, it didn't sustain itself.
0: And, and of course, there was the massive bomb blast. Uh, that
1: was the year following. So yeah. that, but that did not bring out two million
0: people in the I street see. the way. I see. It took the attacks on WhatsApp did. I see. The Russia-Ukraine war has also caused a massive problem economically. Uh, my friends from Lebanon. Economists in particular say that the country is facing its worst ever crisis in modern times.
1: Yeah, you know, the World Bank says it's the third worst since the 1850s.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Third worst globally, basically. Globally, yeah. yes. <coughs> exactly. It and Lebanon uh,
1: imported 85% of its wheat and most of its fuel from Ukraine and, so, and the Russia. And Russia. And so between those two, Lebanon is... Facing hyperinflation on the prices of wheat, for example mm-hmm. His bank dropped the foreign reserves of the government because that for a while they had a subsidies system. Mm. And the subsidies were being used to help fuel subsidies and weed subsidies, but then the materials were taken from the, from Lebanon to Syria and sold much higher rates
0: in the uh, in the black
1: market in the black market, yeah, which is controlled by Hezbollah and the Syrian government
2: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah the the factors that started the economic decline were led to the depreciation of the lira, which is the pound.
0: By how much?
1: Well, when I was in Lebanon, in my youth, so deep in the last century. Um, <laughs> when the Ottomans were still that's around. That's right. I go around and speak <laughs> Turkish. It was 1500 to $1, and now it's 90000 to $1. Ooh, so that's a 98% decline in the value of
0: the currency. And then on top of that... So this means people's retirement savings are wiped out. This means doctors, nurses, policemen, soldiers, they're getting paid nothing.
1: Well, on top of that, Atul, if you consider that Lebanon imports 80% of their goods, Mm -hmm. and now those goods are
2: 98% Mm
1: -hmm. more expensive, Mm -hmm. drugs in particular, pharmaceuticals, it's a real hampering of the future of people there. That's why so many are emigrating. And we have so many people leaving the country for better terms elsewhere. In fact, as you know, the Lebanon's expats provide $7 billion. They provide a significant- Much more monetary... than the IMF. Yes. And really makes a big difference in terms of the ability of the country to turn itself around because it relies on the remittances.
0: It is a remittance's economy right now. Yes. Now, let's talk about uh, the International Monetary Fund. The IMF is in town. It has a rescue package.
1: How is that going? The challenge there is, from my point of view and I'm not an economist, but I have the thing called common sense.
0: Oh, well, then you're more reliable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't. IMF has what I would call cookie-cutter approach. Yeah. You know, here's the fiscal reforms you need here, the monetary reforms you need. Here's how you improve the savings. Here's how you... That doesn't work. They should be out on the street selling their package to Lebanese people who can then put pressure on the parliamentarians. But they can't reach the parliamentarians. They're pretty much insulated. Mm -hmm. So unless they can figure out a way, change the attitude of the members of parliament, it's going to be very difficult for Lebanon to really come through with any kind of change in
0: the way it operates. So you're telling me that the IMF package is going the same way as their package in Argentina or Egypt or Pakistan. Yes. I mean,
1: this is the fourth time Lebanon's had an international conference, including mm. the IMF, to support its recovery. Mm. And this is the fourth time Lebanon has failed it.
0: I see. Now, why is it failing again and again? Things have hit rock bottom. Well,
1: because it's the same leaders over and over again who don't want to give up the control they have.
0: Why do you have the same leaders over and over again? Because you do have elections. You know,
1: in the in the United States, Congress has never gotten more than twenty or twenty one percent approval, and yet over ninety percent of incumbents who run for re election are reelected. You know, why why do we pick on Lebanon? Because they vote for people they know. In there, at least, the people they vote for provide services for them.
0: Mm. So the way they provide services is basically through corruption. Yes,
1: getting your your children to school, getting health care for them, um, getting documents processed, all of that little stuff, Mm. which affects the quality of life, Mm. makes people more supportive of some candidates
0: than others. So understood. It's it's a problem in many third world democracies that your system as a whole doesn't work. So you go to your elected representative and he gets you... The domicile certificate you need for something. He gets your driving license. He gets you, or she gets you, whatever you need in your daily life. Right. But to do so, that, uh, that representative has to call in favors, grease wheels, and it leads to a cycle of corruption. So individually, people alike, they are like, they're almost like feudal barons.
1: You know, and after 30 years of it, you know, this has happened yeah. in the civil, after the end of the Civil War. What it did was it turned the warlords with their militias into government officials.
0: Mm. So, so this has made corruption endemic. Right, part of the system. The system uh, doesn't work without it. So what you're telling me then, you need uh, to break the system or to change the system. You're talking about complete systemic change. You
1: know, the ide- irony is that the Lebanese know it. Mm. You know um, When you follow the elections, when you look at the media, when you talk to people on the street, they one of their slogans was one All of them, all of them, not just some of them. All mm. of them, and that's one one has to remember is that it's not just an isolated incident here. There's not just the Ministry of Telecommunications and the Ministry of Electricity and the people with your driver's license. It's much more pervasive than that.
0: All right, so. What you're telling me is that uh, Lebanon may not be a failed state, but it is a failing state.
1: It depends on what you mean by failing and failed. A failed Let's state say... usually, let me clarify, a failed state usually means sovereignty. In other words, it can't protect your borders. And stuff. Mm. Well, the Lebanese army certainly could do it if Hezbollah and the politicians would let them. But we spent, all our America has spent its energy with the Lebanese army for the past 11 years Making them aware of the fact that civilian control of the military is so vital. Mm. And so when the civilians are corrupt politicians, it, it ruins the quality of the standings of, of the instrument. So the LAF tries to operate in an imperfect world mm. as best they can. They have Hezbollah on one side, they have corrupt politicians on the
0: other. Mm. Are they getting paid?
1: Mm, barely. They're can making- they
0: fight and preserve their borders? Well, that's
1: part of the problem,
0: is that... Because you have very rough neighbors. You have Israel, you have Syria. Syria and
1: Hezbollah have an enormous smuggling apparatus, Mm -hmm. uh, business going on. And so whereas the army can close down the small ones, you know, maybe two or three trucks a day, these guys are doing airplanes, they're doing boats and truck convoys full of items, smuggled items, going into Lebanon. Mm-hmm. hezbollah if you look at Hezbollah's grocery stores for example, a large percentage of the products in it are iranian or syrian mm. and so even they can't even they're not even supporting their own local economy
0: all right so at the moment, Lebanon is not a field state, but you were going to tell me about whether it is on the path of failure or not. Well, the other
1: instruments of a state usually mm. state failures determined by sovereignty, as I said.
0: Mm.
2: But
1: absent sovereignty, what are some of the other indicators? One is control of the economy that's dysfunctional and it's corrupt.
2: Mm.
1: Another is the quality of the judicial system. The judicial system in Lebanon is torn. Explosions in the Beirut port explosion and other have been stalled by politicians again. So. The court system is laughable. Being able to maintain the credibility with your citizens, slow the brain drain, keep your educational institutions open. Some teachers were teaching with two years in arrear on their salary. Wow. Hospitals, same way, two years in arrears, waiting for payments from the government for monies that they owe them. So how do you expect the Lebanese to survive? Undo. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, they could have voted for different people. In a lot of instances, the people weren't running who could have changed it or they weren't organized to run well. And so that gave them the pressing political parties, the ability to leverage their resources.
0: I see, so in that case, who steps into the void? Does Hezbollah step into the void and provide services for the Shias? Do other uh, similar armed groups provide services for the Palestinians? Are we going to see some sort of a disintegration, a bit like the Balkans?
1: Palestinians and the Syrian refugees in Lebanon, Mm. which are about 2 million people, over half of the humanitarian food desert in Lebanon. The problem with dealing with them is everything is subject to conditionality. Mm. And if those conditions are more transparency, more monitoring, those are great. Mm. But if stuff goes through, like, for example, Syria is facing it now, we're trying to get Relief to the earthquake victims—they get permission from the Assad government to even let humanitarian assistance in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or they have to do it through Syrian government agencies. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's going to the Syrian people? At least they have UNRWA in, in Lebanon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The refugees are protected by UNRWA. The Palestinian refugees. Many of the UN commissioner on refugees, UNHCR, they're taking care of the Syrian refugees. Mm-hmm. But just as when you have Ukraine, when you have other things in the world going on. The money that's available to help support them decreases. And so the victims are not just the refugees, it's the host communities.
2: Yes. Because they're course. the ones
1: that have to put up the schools and keep the, it's their water that's being used in their waste
0: treatment and all that. And given the fact that much of the wheat used to come from Russia and Ukraine, there could be a crisis in bread. Well, there is a crisis in bread. So hunger is a reality in Lebanon. Over
1: half the people are considered excessive food, insecure food insecurity. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Over half
1: the population.
0: Over half the population. So what you're painting is a case where the state is failing to deliver and the economy has imploded. So the question again to you, can Lebanon disintegrate?
1: Yes, it can disintegrate factually. In other words, the banks could stop working, the hospitals could close, the schools would not open. Um, So if you talked about Institutional dysfunctionality, yes, mm. that could happen in Lebanon. And could it disintegrate along ethnic lines? I really have to believe, for my time in Lebanon, I go every year, mm. is that the young people don't have time for this sectarian... You can say bullshit if you want. Bullshit, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they showed it when they came out after the WhatsApp thing. Yeah. That they don't want to see themselves as X or Y or Z. They want to be Lebanese. Mm. And, they and so to... the
0: spirit of nationalism is still alive. It's
1: not even nationalism; it's just an identity. Okay. Nationalism means like I'm the best and you're not, and mm. that doesn't—that's not what they're interested in saying. On well, that because sense so of Lebanese civic are, identity, yeah, civic identity. Because mm. Lebanese have, are really integrated, in, for example, with Syria and with Jordan, and other places. So they don't see themselves as so much apart from them mm. or different from them. They see their governments as different.
0: I see. I see. So. You think that there's still a desire amongst the constituent, or enough of a desire amongst the constituent ethnicities, particularly amongst the young, to live together?
1: Not fight one another is different. Not fight one another. Yeah. I mean, they, they stick to their neighborhoods because that's where they grew up, with, they used to. They go to universities and learn some new things, they didn't want to live in other places. But all of it's driven by the economy at that point. Mm. Do I have a job that's going to pay me enough for my rent, and my transportation, and my food? So until those problems are solved, you're still going to have people competing for what limited
0: resources there are. I see. And give me two scenarios for Lebanon. What is the most catastrophic scenario that could occur? And give me the most optimistic scenario that could uh, happen.
1: Well, negative, most negative one is institutional failure. The economy goes totally bankrupt. So people starve. Remittances dry up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: International assistance goes down, mm-hmm. and the government ministries that function atrophy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that there's no ability to do good, even if they wanted to. Like to so the people
0: then starve and fight, or leave the country. Or leave
1: the country. Right. Or
0: fight or fight. Fight whom?
1: See, that's the point. <laughs> Who are they going to fight? They're not going to take on Hezbollah, and they're going to. They're already take, going through their neighbor's trash and stuff, looking bread. Yeah. The most optimistic one is Lebanon will do what it needs to do, and that's parliament will elect a president, and with that new government, and those ministers are, are what we call clean. Uh-huh. They don't have to be non uncorrupt, but at least they let most of the money go where it's supposed to go. That uh-huh. they have a national defense policy which allocates power between the Lebanese security forces and Hezbollah. There's an agreement on what, what they're going to do and how they're going to coordinate together. And remittances continue to flow. That's the most optimistic scenario. But what you have to do is you have to drive, give people the drive, the motivation. Like for example, I'm a business person, and I've always seen the Lebanese as business people,
0: and I and it's are you, spectacularly successful ones. Yeah. I've met Lebanese in in West Africa, in Latin right. America, here, Wall yeah. Street, London, yeah. everywhere, and so Paris, of course, yes. And
1: so they say that if you want to help the Lebanese, them, help them help themselves. I mean, are you we should take at least half of all humanitarian assistance and put it in a small business development? Mm. Small businesses create income, they create wages, they create products to sell, they create products to sell the export so you don't have to use money, mm. borrowed money
0: to do furniture exports. So go back to being the Phoenicians who discovered right. writing right. and account keeping and bookkeeping.
2: Yes. <laughs> Go back to the future.
1: It's, it's ironic that uh, the Lebanese maintain themselves so well, despite how many crises they've had. Lebanon's had at least three occupations in 70 years. The Palestinians, the Israelis, Syrians, <laughs> and now they fight among each other. You think by this time they would learn from themselves that if they do things together and count on each other's resources, They can do it, but they keep wanting to know the end game. Mm. They've got a zero-sum game mentality, and that's got to go. They've got to start to listen to people like the Maronite Patriarch Mm. and some of the great political leaders who are against, like Sami Atala, who are against that mentality, the sectarian mentality, the zero-sum game
0: mentality, Mm. and look for what works for Lebanon as opposed to this sector, that sector. So Sami, you've just mentioned him, Sami Atala. Tell us a bit about him and how he is the hopeful figure.
1: Well, he's hopeful. Sammy is is a think tank person, but there's Mm. also uh, other people like him who are that generation of under 40, under Mm. 45, who marry conceptual understanding with activism. Mm. And that's really important. So that's why most of the activists fail, because they have no consensual binding agreement with other people like themselves just not it just hasn't worked for Lebanon but it doesn't have I can't point to a country in my lifetime that's gone from groups to organizations to political parties to change in the country but it can be done it can be done particularly if you're a democracy or a pseudo democracy like Lebanon
0: mm-hmm. well there there are a few look at the change Ireland has had in your lifetime it has become an extraordinarily successful country portugal for instance, Spain, even, considering they began under General Franco. Mm-hmm. So there are
2: so stories. there are some
1: examples out there,
0: huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bangladesh, which is doing spectacularly well, it used to be a basket case. That's true. Uh, and then the poorer cousin of uh, Pakistan, it was under under West Pakistan, now so, Pakistan. So
1: you're saying they should hire you as the advisor to <laughs> the king?
0: No, they should hire you as the advisor. <laughs> well, that's true.
2: But,
0: yeah. Excellent. Excellent. On, on that note, on that uh, cheery, more cheery note, Lebanon does have hope. And as long as there is hope, it's the country will pe- be back on its feet.
1: It's people are its hope. It's people are its hope. When people of Lebanon mm-hmm. lose hope, then Lebanon's lost. But there is hope. And
0: you have hope. As we say, inshallah. Excellent. On that, on that note, uh, from Atul Singh and Jean Abinader, it's bye for now. Listen to FO Podcasts. Uh, Make sure you rate us and review us. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can follow us on social media. You can even watch us on YouTube. Bye for now.